Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Let me give a little bit of background explanation to the scripture that I will read. And I'm going to start actually at the 27th verse. I had listed in the bulletin verse 29 of the fifth chapter, but I'm going to back up two verses to to lead into it a little better. The church has begun to grow very rapidly, and a number of people are being saved in the early church, just after the ascension of Christ in the beginning, in the early history of it. The apostles have been doing lots of signs and miracles to the point that people were bringing their sick uh, into the streets hoping that one of the apostles would come by and particularly for Peter that his shadow might even just fall over the person. They believed that uh, even that would cause him to be healed. Great numbers of people were coming to the Lord, and large numbers were being healed, to the point that the high priest of the temple of the Jewish people was becoming very jealous, did not like all of the attention that was being given to the apostles and to the young church, and he was, and with the other uh, priests, were very indignant. You'll find that word in the 17th verse. And had commanded these people not to preach any longer, but they continued to do so. And so he, using the power that was at his uh, disposal, laid hands upon the apostles, particularly John and Peter and others, and put them in jail. But the 19th verse tells us that the angel of the Lord came in the nighttime and opened the prison doors and let the men out. But the angel commanded them to go to the temple and there preach the words of life. Verse 20. That's what they did. The next morning the high priest sends somebody to to get his prisoners and bring them before the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Council of the Jewish Temple, that they might be tried, and the men went to the, to the jail to find them and discovered that they weren't there. The doors were all closed, but the, the prisoners were gone. And then someone came bringing them word that those men that you went to find in the jail are standing in the temple preaching. And so they sent men to the temple and brought them before the high court. And there's where we begin the reading in the 27th verse. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priests asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this vein? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intended to bring this man, that is Jesus, blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. 
The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew, and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And ye are, and we are his witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. When they heard that, they were cut to their heart and took counsel to slay them. Then stood there up one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, and had in reputation among all the people and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space and said unto them, Ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what ye intend to do as touching these men. For before these days rose up Thudius, boasting himself to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves, who were slain. And all as many as obeyed him were scattered and brought to naught. And after this man rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of the taxing, and drew away much people after him. And he also perished, and all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. Now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone, for if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it, lest haply ye be found even to fight against God. And to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Lord God, we pray that the Spirit that came into the hearts and lives of the Apostles and the faithful of that early church would be that same Spirit that would fill us, that we would continue to preach in your name the wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ. For in his name we pray. Amen. I want to speak this morning on the subject, there's good news today. There's good news today. And I'll come back to that before the message is over. You may remember from your reading of the scripture that Jesus stood on top of the mountain at his ascension. And his believers his followers were gathered around him. The apostles, some of the women, many of the others, we don't know really exactly how many. And he turned to them and he said to them, Go ye into all the world and preach my gospel teaching them to observe all things 
whatsoever I have commanded you. And then he concluded, and lo, I am with you. Teach them, and I'm with you. He had told them before his ascension that they were, go, were to go to an upper room. Probably the same upper room that he used at the time of the Last Supper. And he told them to wait there until they had been filled with power. We're told there were 120 of them in that upper room. And they waited and they waited and they waited until finally something happened. There was a sound like a mighty wind that came into that room and began to fill all of those 120. And they looked at each other and saw what they described as a cloven fire, a split uh, flame sitting upon each of them, all 120. They couldn't see their own, but they could see the other person giving us a very definite indication that the Holy Spirit that Jesus had promised would come, has now come, and has entered into and has permeated the entire being of every person in that upper room. And those men and women that were afraid to stand up and be counted were fearful of their lives suddenly were full of something that they didn't know what it was and rushed out into the streets. And there they all began to preach. Not just Peter, whose sermon we have recorded in the book of Acts, but all of them began to preach. And the people began to gather around to see what all this stirring was and they were amazed that they were hearing the gospel in their own language. We see the beginning of the spread of the gospel through the organization that Jesus established, the church. He said that which he established, even hell itself would not prevail against it. And he commanded his church to go and to preach. In Matthew 10, 17, he says, As ye go, preach. And the, and the commandment that he gave to them in that great commission, Go into all the world and preach the gospel. And the word gospel means good news. He did not command us to go and attack the world with military power. So the church has no army. But we go like a mighty army because we have a power within us that is greater than is within a military power. He did not command us to go and conduct a, a social reform. He didn't say, go into all the world and make good people. He simply said, go and preach the good news. 
proclaim the gospel. The impact that the church will have upon this world is in direct relationship to whether we do or how we preach the gospel. There's the power of the church is in the preaching of the good news. How well we present the good news to the world will determine what kind of success we have in winning people to Jesus Christ. I want to quickly say four things. I want to ask four questions and hope to answer them. What is this preaching is number one. What is this preaching that Christ expects? Number two, who is to do this preaching? And three, where are we to preach it? And fourthly, how are we to preach it? That's the outline for this morning's message. What is it that we are to preach? And I think we've basically already answered that question. We are to proclaim to the world that God is reconciling the world to himself through Jesus Christ. That is the gospel in short form. We are to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified, risen again, and coming again. That's what we are to preach. We are not to be overcome and absorbed in side issues. We are to put our focus upon the proclamation that the world is lost and God loved the world enough to want to save it to the point of being willing to give his only son to die for this world. That's the message of the church. And if that message does not come out of the church, then we have become short-sighted in our purpose in why we were established. We are to proclaim Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. We are to tell the world that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And in none of this, do I see anything that says that we ought to be talking about making social adjustments or cultural changes of any sort? I believe very strongly, and I've told you this before, but I want to repeat it. I believe very strongly that when the Holy Spirit comes into a person's heart, the cultural, the social, the outlooks, the images, the thoughts, all of this stuff will be changed by that Holy Spirit. If we do not see in the lives of some people the kind of image that would tell us that person is Christian, then we must immediately begin to ask, has the Holy Spirit really, a truly, factually taken up residence in that heart? God does the changing. 
People have said to me on many occasions, well, I want to become a Christian as soon as I can get things straightened up. I want to change my life. I want to become good. I want to stop doing this, this, and this, and I want to start doing this, this, and this. Listen, that person will never be saved. Because salvation is the presence of God in the heart. And then God will change all of these things and make a person what He wants them to be. We must preach Jesus and Him and Him crucified for the sins of yours and mine. When the heart is controlled by God, one's mode of living will follow not the reverse. Secondly, who is supposed to do this preaching that's going to do all of this proclamation to get people saved? We usually think that that's the job of the preacher in the pulpit, you know. Every, every preacher is supposed to preach and, and the purpose of the congregation is to support him. Lift him up, hold him up, encourage him, do all those things. And that's true. Uh, it certainly is the responsibility of the preacher behind the pulpit to proclaim what I've said. And it certainly is the responsibility of the congregation to be supportive in that, in that effort. But I want to suggest to you that we probably have it in reverse. It really is the responsibility of you all to do the preaching and me to support you as pastor. I want you to think about that. Jesus did not say as he stood on that mountaintop, you apostles go preach and the rest of you support them. He said to every one of those 120 in that early congregation, all of you, you, ye, go preach. And so Stephen, an early follower of Jesus, not one of the apostles, went out preaching and paid for it with his life. Philip, one of the early deacons of the church, went to Samaria and proclaimed the gospel to particularly one Ethiopian eunuch and others. A young teenager by the name of John Mark who had heard the gospel and believed went to support with Paul and Apollos and Barnabas on their missionary journeys. Priscilla and Aquila, who were simply tent makers and had a business downtown, preached the gospel every day as they met people in their daily work. What are we saying? And is that the church is the uh, proclaimers of the gospel in our daily life, in business, in pleasure, in the home, wherever we might be. There's where we must preach. then what's the purpose of the church? Where are we to preach? Well, normally we say that we preach in church. And that's, of course, what I'm doing this morning. But I think we have misunderstood the purpose of the church. The church is not a place that we ought to be coming to hear preaching, although we do that. We should be hearing preaching as we have already stated in the home and on the streets and in our places of business. Therefore, we should be hearing preaching. 
It should be possible for us to walk down the streets and hear each other preaching as we proclaim the gospel of Christ to the people about us. Then what is the church? What's its purpose? Let me give you five purposes of the church. Number one, the purpose of the church is to have fellowship with each other. Jesus said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the matter of some is. You know, they already had problems attending church back in those days. People didn't come faithfully. We need to come together because we need to fellowship with each other. And it's tremendous when we can do that. Secondly, we need to come to church because the church is a center of worship. And that's what I hope that we, we do here on Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings is we are here to worship and there ought be nothing take place within that service but what glorifies the name of God. That's the purpose of a worship service. Other things should take place at other times, but not in the midst of a worship service should there be anything but praise to God in everything that we do. So we come to, to worship. Thirdly, we come to church that we might have a place where we can be taught. And that's what we do in Sunday school. That's what we do on Wednesday nights and other times. And we come that we can be taught. And we ought to yearn to be taught. There should be no point in our lives that we're satisfied with what we know about the scriptures and about God's will and, and his word. And fourthly, the church ought to be a place of prayer where we come together that unitedly we might pray to our Father. And fifthly, and I'll, it's this one that I want to make a point of this morning, the church ought to be a place where we're filled with the Spirit. That's what Jesus told his disciples to wait for. Wait until you are filled with the Spirit, until you have been filled with the power from on high. You know, I'd like to have been there that day on the day of Pentecost when those people were filled with power and suddenly they were willing and ready to get out on the streets and there preach the gospel. And I believe that that's exactly what needs to take place with this church and every other church. That when we leave here on a Sunday morning that we ought to be filled with power to go out there on the streets, in our businesses, and say something about Jesus Christ. It ought to be known that we have been in the presence of God like Moses when he came back off the mountaintop and his face was radiant. It ought to be possible to see, for people to see us and take note of the fact that we have been with God. And where do we meet him but here that he might inspire us and fill us and give us power? And then fourthly, how are we going to do this preaching? Well, let me make a couple of, of points and I think are very important. Number one, we are never going to be effective in our witnessing until we understand and view the loss of this world as dead. The scripture tells us that the lost are dead already. Already dead. 
We're not going to do effective preaching until we are able to accept into our own minds and hearts the understanding that every man, woman, and child in this world has sinned and has fallen short of the glory of God. And that we have in our mind and in our heart the message that they need to hear that will give them life. Now whenever that burns us to the place that we can't stand it, we'll start preaching. I'm reading the uh, life of Adoniram Judson right now. His biography. I don't know if you know it or not, but Adoniram Judson was the first Baptist missionary to leave the United States. He started out as a Congregationalist. Grew up in the Congregationalist Church. His father was a Congregational preacher. They did not believe in immersion or didn't practice it. He left the United States as a Congregational missionary to go to Burma. On board ship before he got to Burma he began such deep study of the scripture that he finally was convinced that Baptists were right and their doctrine of baptism, and he was wrong. And he sought out a Baptist preacher in Burma and had that man baptize him. And he and his wife went as congregationalists and ended up being Baptists, and our missionary effort as Baptists in this country started from those two people. He went because he had a burning desire to see people saved and believe that God had sent him there for that purpose. He saw them as dead men and women that needed to be brought to life. Back in the 37th chapter of Ezekiel, you might want to go back there when you get home and read the chapter, God takes Ezekiel to a valley and has Ezekiel looked at this valley and said to Ezekiel, what do you see in the valley there? And he said, I see a valley of dead men's bones. What Ezekiel was seeing were the bodies of men who probably had died in battle by the hundreds and perhaps thousands that were covering the valley below. The flesh had all rotted off and gone back to the, to the earth. All he saw were dry, parched, white, bleached bones laying out there, skeletons of thousands of men. I see dead men, he said. I see dry bones. That's all I see, lifeless, dry bones. Until we see dry bones, we're not going to preach very effectively. Until we see people who are dead, we're not going to be very effective. But once we see that, then our faith is going to be kindled to the point that we're going to have power within us because we know that we one day were dead in our sins and the Lord Jesus came along and gave us life. And we have such a compassion that others live that we can't possibly do anything else but preach his word. 
It makes no difference whether you mine coal, work in a, in a hospital, or in an office, or teach school, or whatever one might do. There needs to be in our heart and our mind a complete understanding that the people we're with are dead bones. But they can be made alive again. And it's our job to tell them how. If we have this faith, we're going to have the power to witness. And out of this assembly, we will receive inspiration. And we'll be motivated. And we'll go out of us as effective witnesses because, first of all, our own heart has been laid bare before God. And we know what he did for us. God said to Ezekiel, what do you see? And he said, I just see a valley full of dry bones. And God said to Ezekiel, can those bones live again? Can they live again? And Ezekiel said, Lord, only you know. And you know, God did a strange thing. He said to Ezekiel, preach to those bones. What? All these skeletons laying in the valley. Ezekiel, get out there. Get behind the pulpit and preach to those bones. And Ezekiel started preaching to dead bones. And he said, I heard a noise. You know what the noise was? It was the clicking together of the bones. You've heard that old song, the foot bone connected to the ankle bone, the ankle bone connected to the thigh bone, thigh bone, to, you know, and you could drip to the head bone. That was happening. Ezekiel said, I heard a noise. And the dead, the bones were coming together. And he said, they stood up. But they didn't have any flesh on them. God said, now preach to the wind. And Elijah turned and preached to the wind and commanded the wind to blow over those skeletons. And they began to breathe and have life and they were restored whole again. The church's job is to preach to dead, dry bones. And God knows that they can become alive again. Because he sent his son Jesus Christ to this world to make people alive. What's the good news? The good news is that the dead can live. And there's good news today. But it's our job to proclaim it. I want to challenge you as members of this church as we work together. It's time to come years hopefully that we will together be proclaiming the good news to the dead of this world it won't be done just from behind this pulpit but it will be done on the streets and in the places of business and recreation where we all live and in our homes to let the world know that there's a valley of dead bones but listen they can live again and it's going to happen because somebody preaches all of us preaching that Jesus Christ died for the lost. Let us pray.
Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.